happy to be here, and I'm, I hope you're happy to be here. So uh, I was thinking about last week, uh, my daughter Lexi, she loves holidays. I mean, she's, you know, she's six, she loves holidays, and she loves decorating for holidays. So as soon as Christmas was over, she was looking like, what's the next holiday? And she said, I said, Valentine's Day. And, you know, as soon as she knew what Valentine's Day was a holiday, she's like, well, what comes after St. Valentine's Day? Because it is St. Valentine's, technically. And I thought, well, I guess it's St. Patrick's Day. So she's like, she's wanting to know, like, could we hang up lights for Valentine's Day? And and I said, well, we still technically have our Christmas lights out in front. So, yes, we are, we're going to hang up lights for Valentine's Day. We already have them up. They're still up for Valentine's Day. And, uh, but she's asking about uh, last Monday was Martin Luther King Jr. Day. And she's asking, well, it's a holiday. What do we do to celebrate Martin Luther King Jr. Day? And I said, well, you know, it's kind of a different holiday. Where we, don't, we, don't, we don't decorate anything or... or uh, do anything fancy. A lot of people celebrate Saint uh, um, Martin Luther King Jr. Day by being nice to people and doing kind things for others. And you know, it was a fairly watered down, if you will, uh, treatment of the life and legacy of Dr. King. But again, she is six years old. I mean, my daughter, for her free time, builds leprechaun traps and also makes. She puts up signs on our window welcoming witches which always weirds me out because it, it feels like it's like the starter of some like horror movie you know but that's what she does so you know for her like me explaining like dr king to her i feel like that's a pretty good understanding for her and i, I don't really know if she would have she would able to comprehend like a deep dive into like this the philosophy of martin luther king jr's like non-violent resistance so um I thought things were kind of simple, yet uh, this, this, this simplicity of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., it almost seems to have taken over the, the legacy of him. It's is just, just about him being, or his legacy is just us about being nice. Like, he was nice and kind and did things like that. And, of course, being nice and kind is important, but... As I remember Dr. King, he had so much more important things to say than just about being nice to one another. And it seems like it's so much to the point like his his message of being nice is, is it's gotten so diluted almost to like you can put kind of you can like tack on some kind of thought about Martin Luther King onto like almost anything and make it make it seem okay. And last week, last week even there was. I'll, I'll, I'll be generic here and say there are some things that were said that were kind of put with his message that I thought, hmm, that, I don't think that quite fits uh, the way I think it was meant to. And I think it kind of speaks to a larger uh, trend in America. This, this thing of, this constant call towards niceness. Whenever conflict and disagreement appear, we often hear that we're supposed to strive towards unity and compromise. Now don't get me wrong, I'm all for being, I'm all for being kind to one another. I think uh, too often we've, we have to, we have this thing where either like we have to yell at each other through social media and just be like angry all the time and, or, or we have to just pretend nothing, pretend everything's fine. And I'm all for like being able to like 
have a big disagreement with Rick and then us come together and say, hey, you know, I feel strongly about this, you feel strongly about that, like we can still be friends even though we hold our disagreements. But it often feels like there's this, this call for unity and compromise or just often attempts of, to avoid having to deal with difficult subjects. And I think often these, these calls for unity and compromise are often being made from those not suffering from the conflict. This past week I was uh, reading the, the words and speeches again of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And uh, I've always been fond of, of his since back in seminary. I was fortunate enough to be able to spend some time studying his philosophy of nonviolent resistance and in looking into his words and actions, and I've really been impacted by those words and actions ever since. Um, one particular writing that's always stood out to me is the letter from Birmingham Jail. Anyone ever read that? Heard it? It's 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 pretty it's a pretty powerful letter. So the backstory is it was written in 1963 when Dr. King was actually imprisoned in Birmingham after taking part in a nonviolent resistance, some actions in the city of Birmingham. And it was in response to a letter that had been written by eight clergy, I think they're men, clergymen, uh, kind of critiquing Dr. King and his, his actions in the city of Birmingham. So it was published in a newspaper, and the way he actually started writing the letter was he actually, in his jail cell, had the newspaper, and he began, he began roughing out some, his notes, like literally on the newspaper itself. That's how the letter kind of began. And, and as time progressed, and he says he had lots of time to sitting in a jail cell, what else was he going to do in the letter? He starts, he starts formulating a deeper and more complex response as, as visitors uh, start giving him notepads to write on. But the letter that was written to him, or in response to him, was called A Call to Unity, and it was written by eight clergy persons and asked King to reconsider his actions in Birmingham. And these eight pastors, or clergy persons, were all of the opinion that King's leadership and actions were agitating the calm and bringing a potential for violence. Now, obviously, King was bewildered by the letter, that wasn't so much from the criticism per se. After all, he was, for his time, he took a lot of criticism. So he wasn't, he wasn't shocked by the letter itself. He was shocked, rather, by who it was from. These eight clergy persons who he thought to be supporters of the cause. And the words and actions of these, these eight clergy persons led him to wonder if the greatest stumbling block in the stride toward freedom, as he calls it, wasn't and I quote, the white citizen's counselor or the Ku Klux Klaner, but the white moderate who is more devoted to order than justice, who proposes a negative peace, which is the absence of tension, to a positive peace, which is the presence of justice, who constantly says, I agree with you in the goal you seek, but cannot agree with your methods of direct action. Those words always, those words always kind of hit me. You know, I think... In America, we've been conditioned, and I want to I quantify my we, to say that, that we, almost always being white America, have been conditioned to avoid tension at any and all costs, with those costs often being borne by the non-white people. 
was actually the case, I think, is that, and this is kind of the point that Dr. King was getting after, that he and other activists like him were merely bringing to the surface the tensions that were already existing, tensions that others had tried to smooth over and ignore. One thing about Dr. King, he was not afraid to bring those tensions to the surface, so much so that he was, he was called an extremist, and he was investigated incessantly throughout his life for being a one. Yet King wore that label with a badge of honor. Writing in his letter from Birmingham jail, he said, Was not Amos the Old Testament prophet? Was he not an extremist for justice? Writing, Let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Was not Paul the apostle an extremist for the Christian gospel? Writing, I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Dr. King also said, Was not... Jesus, an extremist. Whoa! Jesus is an extremist? Whoa! But Jesus said, love your enemies. Man, I still can't get that one down. Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them that despitefully use you and persecute you. That is kind of extreme. I mean, if there's one person, if there's one person in life whose, whose message and actions have been more diluted or watered down than Martin Luther King's, it has to be Jesus. So while our ears might bristle at the description, it seems to, it seems to fit Jesus as an extremist, an extremist for love. And here's the thing, People don't get crucified for being just nice and saying nice things. Like Martin Luther King Jr., Jesus was often in the crosshairs of the legal authorities. Like Dr. King, Jesus was often acting against the wishes of the religious leaders. Like Dr. King, Jesus often said a lot of extreme things. Last week we looked at Jesus and his mission to show compassion and work for justice. Today we're reading the second half of that story. So last week, if you remember with me, Jesus comes back. He had just come back from his, his time of trial and temptation in the wilderness. And he comes back pumped up, excited, filled with the Spirit. He walks into the synagogue, and they're doing the regular weekly service, and he reads from the book of Isaiah, and he says, he reads this text, and he says, hey, this this is my text. This is my mission. I've been called by God to show compassion and work for justice for people. And he comes up pumped and excited. So we're reading now today the second half of that story. So we're going to read it together here on screen. It's from the book of Luke, uh, chapter 4, verses 14 through, oh, I'm sorry, verses 22 through 30. So again, this is after that time. Jesus had just finished reading from the scroll of Isaiah. And he begins, uh, all who were there, it says, were watching and listening, were surprised at how, how well he spoke. But they also said, isn't this Joseph? Joseph's son, the one we've known since he was a youngster? Again, this happened where, in Jesus' town where he grew up. And Jesus answered and said, I suppose you're going to quote the proverb, Doctor, go heal yourself. Do here in your own hometown what you did in Capernaum. Well, let me tell you something. No prophet is ever welcomed in his hometown. 
Isn't it a fact there were many widows in the Israel at the same time of Elijah during that time and half, in the three and a half years of drought when famine devastated the land, but the only widow to whom Elijah was sent was in Sarepta in Sidon? And there were many lepers in Israel at the time of the prophet Elisha, but the only one cleansed was Naaman the Syrian. They, that said, everyone in the meeting place seething with anger, they threw him out, vanishing him from the village, then took him to a mountain cliff at the edge of the village to throw him to his doom. But he gave them the slip and was on his way. So again, this happens in all, in the, all from what we talked about last week, this all happens in one uh, setting. Jesus is in the synagogue. He's reading from Isaiah. He says, hey, this, this, is, this is me. This is my mission. You know, these words you're hearing today, this, this, this applies to me. So then he says that, and the, it seems like the religious leaders there, the religious people with him, get upset, and they're bothered by it, and basically by him saying, hey, God's message is for everyone, not just the Jews alone. And he, sets, he says something, I mean, it doesn't seem like much to us today, but he says something, obviously, that sets them off, and they basically, they basically want to go take him and throw him off a cliff. I mean, <laughs> nice, nice things, right? And the thing is... Um, in that time period, there wasn't much patience for troublemakers. And Jesus doing what he was doing, especially saying what he was saying, was in essence putting him as a rabble-rouser, as a troublemaker. And again, in that time period, when the Jews were under the rule of the Roman Empire, there was not much patience for, for troublemakers because that had, a, that had lasting effects. So there was a city about four miles I'm not sure if it's east or west, but four miles from where Jesus lived in Nazareth called Sephoris. Now, Sephoris was a city where tradition has it that Mary, Jesus' mom, grew up. And about the time that Jesus was born, there was a Jewish leader who started causing trouble in Sephoris. So much so, so much trouble that the Roman Empire actually came and destroyed the entire town. So these religious elders would have seen Jesus, would have remembered that time from their, own, from their own past and said, Jesus, do you know what you're doing? Like, this is what you're going to bring to Nazareth. This is what you're going to bring to our town if you don't be quiet and tone it down. So, these religious rulers, not unlike the eight clergymen that wrote to Martin Luther King, were asking him to keep the peace and not stir up any tension. But Jesus, like King, was insistent that the tension was already present. He was just trying to, trying to reveal the trouble that was already happening, just bring it to the surface. Now, again, I think this, this gets to a deeper issue and kind of a, a broader theme that Jesus wasn't just trying to be a rabble-rouser or a troublemaker to just get under people's skin. He wasn't doing these things just because he wanted to cause trouble. He was doing things because he cared about people. He, do, he did this because he wanted to show people compassion, because he cared about doing right for others. Jesus cared about people, and it, it struck him deep at his core when he saw people being mistreated, when he saw people being abused, it broke his heart. I remember, perhaps you can remember it as well, the passage 
where Jesus is standing up on a hilltop and he looks down on a crowd of people and he sees them just as sheep having no shepherd. And it says he was moved with compassion. Literally translated, it means his, his stomach was upset because he was, so, he, was so, he was so hurt for these people. It broke his heart to see people in such a hard, hard situation. Jesus believed it was his mission to care for these people, to bring the good news of God's kingdom to earth. So we know what happens eventually right at the end of the story. Jesus is crucified. The good news is that's also not the end of the story, right? What happens after that? The resurrection, as we'll be celebrating Easter. But Jesus' death is worth considering. Last week I talked about how uh, Jesus' mission is our mission. And it made the point that as followers of Jesus, our mission is to follow that mission of Jesus. To show compassion and to work for justice for other people. And I think if we're truly living out Jesus' mission of showing compassion and doing right for other people, we're not always going to be the most popular people. You'd think it'd be the opposite, but it seems like the opposite is true. Like When we try to do what's right, somehow we become unpopular. I don't understand it. But there are consequences. And I, I believe that Jesus' death was not in the entirety of his mission. It was the result of his mission. And we can be sure that Jesus knew what the result of his mission was going to be. But he cared about people so much. He loved people so much. He said, this is what God has called me to do. I'm going to do it because this is my mission that God has called me to. What makes it all the more compelling is that Jesus told those who were following his mission, his disciples, to take up their cross and follow as well. Luke 9.23 says, then he said to them, Jesus is the one saying, then he said to them, if any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. He asked them to follow his mission, even to their death. He asked them to discover their courage. Today I want you to discover your courage. If you count yourself as a follower of Jesus, that message to carry the cross, to look death in the face and be courageous, is your message too. And I know that's not an easy mission. But I want you to think about today, what breaks your heart? When you look into the world, when you look into our country, when you look into our city, when you look into our community, when you look into our family, what breaks your heart? And I think so often we can, we can easily cast aside or belittle the so-called people who are, who are doing social justice work as these, these social justice warriors. And really, I so often when I look at people like this, I see people whose heart is broken, who sees other people suffering and want to make a difference because they care for other people and it breaks their heart to see other people suffering. And that's, that's what I believe Jesus was about. Is He got this message from God 
he got this mission from God, God telling him to show God's love to people in his, in his world and to carry out God's love to these people no matter what, even if it meant death on the cross. And that was Jesus' mission, and he discovered his courage and carried out that mission even though it meant death on the cross. Our mission, your mission, is not an easy mission. But the good news is that the, the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit that empowered Jesus, remember, Jesus came back, pumped up, fired up with God's Spirit. That same Spirit of God is within us. That same Spirit of God that enlivens Jesus enlivens us and gives us the courage to go live out our mission. Jesus, after all, he often called himself the human one. Because Jesus was trying to show us how to live God's love out. And we believe that in Jesus we see God most revealed. And that's why it's so important to remember that Jesus was, yes, Christianity has historically, historically believed that God, Jesus was God, but also to remember that Jesus was human. And Jesus shows us the way to live as God wants us to live. So doing right is not always the easy thing. I think, really, I think it rarely ever is. More often than not, it's the harder thing. And the temptation you will face most often is to settle for an easy life, to avoid conflict, to escape tension. And if you're like me, I hope you're not, but if you're like me, you probably find it much easier to avoid doing the right thing than acting with courage. In fact, every time, every single time I read Dr. King's letter from Birmingham jail, I am convicted to wonder why, to wonder whether or not I am being the white moderate. Whether I am the one who is more devoted to order than to justice, who agrees with goals but not with actions, who wants to tell others to wait for a more convenient season for someone else's freedom. Truly, I am, I am convinced that so often I am, I am more likely to be the white moderate than to do justice, to love mercy, and to show compassion. And I think this is the most, this is, this is the greatest temptation we face as followers of Jesus. Not those well-known temptations of lust and gluttony and greed. and Yeah, those are temptations. But rather the temptation of a risk free life to espouse the title of Christian without ever truly being like Christ. To say that we are a Jesus follower without ever truly following Jesus. To celebrate His death and resurrection without ever being willing to sacrifice ourselves. So today I'm asking you to be courageous. And more really, I'm asking you to help me be courageous. Help this church, this gathering, of this mission gathering, this new church be courageous. To seek to do right for others and to show compassion for all. There are so many things happening in our world, in our nation, in our communities. 
that cannot be simply left as status quo. That was Dr. King's point. To be courageous. You know, we can't change all these things. We can't change what's already happened. And, you know, I don't... I sometimes wonder what, <laughs> what we can truly change. But I believe, that, I believe that if we seek to follow Jesus' way, if we try to show compassion, if we try to work for the good of others, that makes a difference. And I, I believe that this, is, this, is, this isn't just, just the nice thing to do. It isn't just something where that can make us feel good. I believe this is, this is God's mission. I really believe that. That God is about showing love and justice and compassion. And everything that I that I want to do, that everything this church is going to be about, is going to be about compassion and working for good for others. Because I believe that's what God's mission is. And I believe that that was God's mission that He gave to Jesus. And I believe that that's the mission that we as followers of Jesus are to carry out on our own. So when we see these things happening in our world, when we see these things happening in our community, We can be courageous, even if it's in little ways. Even if it's just in little ways of showing love, being compassionate, doing right for others. That is acting courageously. And with God's help, as individuals and as a church, we can do what's right. And it's my prayer that we together as a community would work together to equip Encourage and empower one another to be courageous. So this morning, I want you to be courageous. This morning, I pray that you would help me be courageous. And this morning, I pray that you would share your courage that we together as a community, there's something, there's something powerful about uh, a community of people. This was, this was a point Dr. King made as well. That as a community of people, we have a choice whether what kind of community we're going to be whether we're, we're going to be a community that uplifts and encourages and empowers one another to do right, or we're going to be a community that, uh, that does the opposite, I guess you'd say. So I pray that this would be a community that would do right, show compassion, and encourage one another to do the same. So this morning, I guess, I guess that's, that's my invitation. That's what I'd ask of you to be a part of this. We need your voice. We need your compassion. We need your courage. We need you to be a part of this because there's not enough voices speaking for compassion. There's not enough voices seeking to show love. There's not enough voices trying to do right for others. And we want to be a community. We want to be a church that is about showing God's love and compassion. That's my prayer for us today.